<laughs> Welcome back to the House of X Book Club. I'm your host, Rob, and uh, I've got the Quiet Council with me. We've got Shane. Hey there. Hey, howdy. Shh. We've got Rowan. Hello. And Raj. Hello and good evening. Welcome Hello. to the House of X Book Club. Now, I, Roger is... Uh, Sitting in his uh, the cockpit breath. of the Millennium Falcon, underpants? dude. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. possibly in my underpants. I mean, if you're in the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon, you can wear whatever the hell you want, man. That's, well, yeah, that's, that's what I figured. Right there, the Chewbacca. So, Chewbacca does it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's Chewbacca right. Chewbacca goes everywhere. You naked. were naked this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> He's and, got a sash uh, on. So welcome, welcome to welcome, Drew. Hello. Um, so this episode we're covering x-men 24 the release date was june 30th 1966 the cover date was september 1966 credits to the great writing to the great roy thomas penciling to warner roth inking dick Ayers, lettering sam rosen editing of course dan the man lee the title is the plague of the locust dun, dun, dun. which i think is kind of a weird title because a plague of locusts is one thing, but if you've got a plague of the locust, it's just one locust. Because the locust is the dude, and he brings a plague. It makes okay. sense to me. All right, I got I get it. You. He's going to give gotcha. everybody syphilis. Yeah. <laughs> so, Again with the before... syphilis, man. Yeah, well. It's the gift that it. keeps on giving, Roger. <laughs> it goes around. <laughs> if you say so, Shane. Before we get into the storyline here, what the story is, I want to just do some preliminary stuff here. This, by the way, is the first appearance of the always awesome Ted Roberts. <laughs> oh, I hate Ted. I hate Ted. <laughs> okay. Yes. Everybody, um, um, how far did you have to read before you're like, oh, Ted's up to something? I still have it. First, first panel. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, this guy's a creeper. As soon as he says, hey, share a an orange soda oh. with me as soon gal. as he was like you gotta have a soda with me i was like oh you mean it. just in regards to gene oh just no just in general he's up to okay. something he is there's i don't <sighs> recall what's going on but he's up to something and i just worry because i don't think gene's ever getting out of that basement alive can i um <laughs> can i can i maybe enlighten a little bit or should i hold on to it i think he's no, just a ahead. frat boy okay um he's a, he's just from chico ted rob yeah <laughs> yeah there you go yeah. Dude, boy, bro, that's it bro, right there. Dude, bro. So Ted Roberts will be around for a long time. Um, and so will his brother, by the way. His brother his brother becomes the villain, the cobalt man. It's a bad name. Yeah. Well, oh, I mean, well, you he's are, made you of know, cobalt. You don't yeah. have a lot of options. <laughs> <laughs> so the story here. In this issue of the X-Men, Jean Grey, aka the Marvel Girl declares that she's leaving the X-Men forever. Her parents, of course, have demanded that she leave Xavier's school, and they've enrolled her in the Metro College, upstate New York. Yeah, I don't even know how that works. <laughs> yeah, this was so Im immediately frustrating for, on multiple levels. At the end, and I understand everyone likes a good cliffy, but at the end of the last issue, she was like, <laughs> oh, I have to leave and I can't tell anyone why. And then 
uh, you open up the next book and it's like it just I'm going to just college a vomit of words. I my parents have enrolled me in college. Is this like every time I see like it just reminded me it's like every time I see some woman that is like trying to go having issues trying to get their tubes tied or or, you know, trying to get birth control. And the doctor's like, well, can I talk to your husband? I'm like, this is the kind of shit that perp- that's where it came from, mm-hmm. that kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. I get you. My parents enrolled me in college. Well, oh, we shit, enrolled her man. in college so she won't get pregnant. You know, <laughs> uh, that's not it, how uh, that works. Yeah, it's it's a weird thing. But I'm like Rowan. Can your parents enroll you in college? I mean, <laughs> and and it's not like like here. I'm like I told Rowan. I go, oh, it's just like a little junior college. But Ted makes some kind of comment about it being an Ivy League school. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, I mean, you think about it, though, we're still at this point, we're still not that far removed from husbands being able to institutionalize their wives for reading mm-hmm. too many books. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Or for being hysterical. Yeah. Right. Just, yeah, hysterical. yeah. Right. And yeah. women still couldn't get credit cards. Yeah. And so, I mean, okay. it's it's not that far of a stretch to imagine that that someone's parents could enroll them in and enroll an adult in college because they know especially a woman at this time because they know what's best for her right they're they're or at least that the the social standard would would kind of flex this way you know Mm -hmm. that there would be this this expectation that she would do what they said that the school would accept the information from her parents without question you know what I mean? At this time, they would receive it all at this time. Um, I would think to go to an Ivy League level school, she's got to take like an entrance exam. Right. At least, there is at least this part apply. of me that thinks yeah. there's this part of me that thinks there there had to have been some initiative on her part um, to go to the to, to go to school. So playing right. off of what Shane said about Ted being up to something. And Jean mentioning that um, she couldn't say why. Maybe she's not saying why. <laughs> maybe, maybe, Ooh, that's, uh, yeah. That that's that's a little fun right there. Yeah. She's pregnant but, with Xavier's child, Roger. <laughs> but also, it's not written this way. But Jean could have applied to school and decided not to go, mm. but her parents decided for her. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, it's possible. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, so she's going to Metro College, upstate New York, in a, um, <laughs> I is, don't know. Is, I, is, is a corsage a typical going away <laughs> present? That, because I, that, okay. that stymied me. And how, so how can she treasure it always? For, forever. I'll treasure it um, always. So what? you know how you know how I I keep a list of the crimes of Xavier. Um, <laughs> yeah. So lame ass gift is number my, seventy-two. <laughs> my list my list is short in this one. Uh, killing bugs, the first number one. Sneak, I don't know. I agree around, with on that one. Sneaking around uh, <laughs> a, a chemical plant office is number two, and that fucking corsage is number three. <laughs> that, <laughs> Yep. So the, the corsage, idea. the corsage has to go deeper than that, though. You know why? 
because they he had that at the ready. That right? means he has them delivered on a regular basis. Oh, no, 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 and no. mind wipes everyone so they don't know that he. Has I don't them. think so because those look like marigolds to me, and he's probably just got those in the gardens to keep the bugs away. And so the fact that she didn't wear it on this mission is kind of bullshit. <laughs> yeah, Drew. Yeah. So selfish. Right. <laughs> so, so here's my thought. Xavier is probing Jean's mind anyway. He knew what the letter said a long time ago. Um, so he told Iceman, hey, I think we're going to need a corsage. Why don't you go get one? Iceman's like, all right, I don't know what for. Just go get it. And then, you know, later that day, she tells everybody. And he has it at the red. So, of course, while she enrolls, she meets the aforementioned Ted, a budding psych miner, and traipses off without him or traipses off with him without telling Cyclops goodbye after they drop her off at the school. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, that's a pretty low blow. But she, you know, this is where the, the interpersonal relationships of the book are, are is starting to, like, really kind of roll around, and it, it becomes a, really starts to become a romance comic as well as a superhero comic, because he's thinking in word bubbles, she doesn't care about me. I thought she did, but no, she doesn't. And, She's like, sure, Ted, I'll go have a soda with you. Anything to keep my mind off of Scott, you know? Um, so it's it's just, it's interesting how they're, how they're playing with it. Uh, meanwhile, a mad scientist wearing some stupid locust onesie is uh, commands these giant insects to dev devour a cornfield. So this guy's in his jammies and waving his arms around looking like a giant grasshopper. And he's telling these bugs, eat the cornfield. Yeah. Um, he's got what he calls an ionic ray that causes the bugs to grow. Um, but he also has gadgets and gizmos that helps him control this plague of locusts. At any rate, Professor Xavier catches wind of this because he's watching the news or reading the paper like he does and uh, sends the X-Boys out to kill one of these giant bugs, giant locusts, so that he can study its mutation. Is that how you do that? I mean, I... As soon as I saw that, I was kind of appalled because they went out there and started fighting giant grasshoppers. And, you know, I think it's like Beast or Angel or somebody like breaks one's neck and then Iceman yeah. creates a spear and skewers one. And it, it's kind of primal. But I mean, to be fair, that's the only real option, because where are you going to get a mayonnaise jar that big <laughs> and then to find a fork large enough to poke enough holes in the top so that the grasshopper doesn't die? Go find Hank yeah. Pym and have him make you one. There you go. If only they had a good working relationship with the Avengers. Well, they fucked that up early. Gene, of course, comes back to Xavier's on the weekend and decides that she's going to go on maybe one more mission with him. So she does. And uh, they take on the Locust and his insect minions. I still thought this was a fun issue. Now, uh, I always ask this, but did you guys know anything about the Locust before this? No. No, I, I absolutely didn't. not. I completely, I, I must have blocked it out or forgotten about it or however you want to phrase it. Yeah. But, no, I, but like, I was like, but I was like, Dr. Hopper, are you fucking yeah. serious? I didn't right. even <laughs> notice that until you just said that. Holy crap. No, I, I pointed that out to Rob. Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. I was like, there so the he is, Dr. Hopper. The mad scientist say, is Dr. Hopper. 
I don't understand why Dr. Hopper wasn't getting no play. He's kind of got like a Pierce Brosnan vibe going on. There. Right. Oh, right. Yeah. He's Good kind of a dude. handsome dude. Yeah. Yeah, he is. It's his crazy wackadoo theories. I really did enjoy this. But there's a scene, you know, when we first see like Doc Hopper, Dr. Hopper, and he's in the school's cafeteria or their, their like, you know, food area or food court or whatever. And Jean Grey hears him yelling at some students and she's like, that voice sounds familiar. Like she knows him. I mean, the X-Men came, came up against him, but without her. Right. So how oh, does she... I didn't even notice that either. <laughs> how does she know who he is? Because we all like, got I... flashy thing by Professor X and she was actually there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I just I found that kind of interesting, you know, because she's like, somehow I feel like I should know him. Um, well, you would if you were there, but but you weren't there. Did everybody forget that they were framed for holding DC ransom? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And they forgot, I mean, 100 million bucks, man, and a truck. Well, you know, with 100 million bucks, you can buy a new truck. Yeah, or, or you can pay off a lot of people. You can buy a lot of flashy things, Professor X. Yep. <laughs> So here's one thing that I found interesting in this. Um, growing up reading the X-Men, we always knew that there were some mutants who felt like it was a curse and some mutants who just reveled in their in their abilities. You know, Angel's one who always loved being a mutant because he could just soar and just fly. And then there were others who who hated what they were, kind of like Rogue. You know, she couldn't touch anybody and that always that always haunted her. Um Cyclops has been one in these early issues where he feels that it's a curse. Like, you know, he's always cursing his own eyes. Like he's going to end up killing somebody. And, you know, Jean would, I, I, I can't tell her I love her because I mean, she couldn't even be with me. My eyes are deadly, you know, it's very dramatic. Um, and he talks about one, not to, to mention cured. the small genitals. Oh yeah. Well, there's that. <laughs> um, <laughs> But he's ta he talks on the way to, to drop her off. He's thinking to himself that he wishes he, he could be cured of this curse, which I find really interesting because I never really thought that that much about it as far as as far as he's concerned. I, I just did a quick Google search mm -hmm. and I Googled when were contact lenses invented? Uh -oh. 1888. So why yeah. can't he just wear contacts? Maybe his eye beam is too but, powerful. There you go. I like that answer. It he would, needs he, his ear. He needs his ears to hold the sunglasses on. Yeah. Otherwise, the force beam will shoot them off of his head. Okay. I mean, after all, those eyelids are only skin. Can you imagine having to like look on the ground for a con? Uh, 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 they'd be easier for other people to see, not him, but other people. Anybody oh. see a red contact lens on the ground? <laughs> If he's really that serious about getting his eyes fixed, why doesn't he pop one out, give it to Xavier to study, just like with the giant insect, the locust? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let let Iceman skewer one of those eyeballs for you. And... Exactly. <laughs> There's something happens in this issue that chilled me to the bone. Oh. Professor X is able to use his telepathy to read. Inanimate objects. Oh, the yeah. psychometry. Yeah. 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 We talked and, I, was and like, I talked a little bit about that. It was really weird. And then I was like, oh my goodness. 
the stories he must have heard from James Vibrator. Mm, you would <laughs> think you that. Know he <laughs> oh, you guys. That's horrible. Damn. Um, a few things happen here. Again, w- one of the things that I really didn't like was the whole uh, X-Men killing a bunch of giant locusts. Um, on the right of the Met, on the right to Metro College, Scott wants to be cured. Talks about wanting to be cured. Um, he worries that G- oh, and Warren worries that Gene will fall for the Human Torch because the Human Torch goes to school there, and he flies just like Warren. So obviously she's going to fall for him. Um, and we all know what a horn dog the Human Torch is. So, uh, so Warren's a little worried about this, which I find kind of. It, it's that whole car ride. All three of them are thinking different things, and it's interesting, you know. Those oh, she's thoughts. pregnant with Xavier's child. Oh my God, Roger! <laughs> <laughs> it was nice in this issue, though, and and I'm I'm gonna let you guys know this has been my favorite issue we've read to date. Yes. I loved this issue. <laughs> wow, my absolute favorite. Um, one thing that was nice though was all the thought bubbles. Yeah, pretty much so far, it's all just verbal exposition for everything but now mm-hmm. they're like actually you know we kind of get a insight into how they think granted it's all, all about gene but like it, it is kind of nice to see that evolve and i i i liked this issue a lot because it, it reminded me of chuck dixon's work in the mid 90s yeah like, which is the comic books that really got me into comics like it reminded me a lot specifically of, of robin volume two from um like 94 96 that era mm-hmm. i i loved this story the fact that you had a villain from start to finish in a single issue you understood what he was doing why he was doing and how he was doing it is not something we've seen in the x-men comics so far so to me i was i liked the fact that we had one consolidated combined single issue without like a bunch of fluff that we've like it mm-hmm. it, it mm-hmm. to me was a single issue that so far we've seen take up two issues to do the same exact thing yeah. if not more that's so true maybe even three right mm-hmm. well plus the so villain's true. approach to the fights was completely different than what has happened we know our complaint about that we've talked about a couple of times where you know that it seems to be a lather rinse and repeat of the the fights but you know this one he did not have nearly as complicated a scheme to divide and conquer the x-men it wasn't like i'm gonna build myself a five thousand gallon can of molasses i'm gonna pay a truck driver take it to topeka (laughs) kansas and when angel flies over the molasses is gonna shoot up into the sky and capture him and bring him down and then i'm gonna send a submarine to connecticut and it's gonna grab cyclops (laughs) with a big picture that comes out of the no this was like cyclops walks up and goes hey what are you doing (laughs) he just (laughs) i was like he pimp slaps him he really does uh he uses that backhand a couple of times in this in the story um so i want to tell you that i also really love this issue and have been waiting to read this book for a long time. So I was familiar with the locust and it was because the Marvel Marvel role-playing game from the eighties in one of the modules that Shane gave me, it starts out with the X-Men having to fight the locust. 
<laughs> I never saw that character again anywhere. Like he wasn't oh. in the game books. He wasn't in the, you know, he wasn't in the, the handbook to the Marvel universe. I'm like, did they just make this lame ass character for, for this role playing game? <laughs> See, it's, it's gone full circle now, Shane. Can this be my backup like character for if my character dies? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but remember, he's not a mutant. He has no powers. It's God all the technology. It. It's mm. all in his snazzy suit. Yeah. Well, spoiler, but neither is Xavier. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> Deadpool's well, so, not. Yeah, Deadpool's not. Uh, so hey, I think that his fucking books. Do you guys remember what what his reasoning for making these giant, uh, giant, monstrous insects was? What why he did this? Not getting credit. He yeah, had done a lot of this. stuff, yes. and and the 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 university and then Ryan Chemicals had taken credit for all of his work. So he was basically going to create a problem and then solve the problem and get credit for solving the problem. Yeah, with the chemicals that he created at Ryan Chemicals. Yeah. I don't know, Shane. That sounds like a pretty convoluted scheme. Um, <laughs> I'm going to create That's, a problem. I don't know. I can. I'm going to solve the that, problem, though. and they're going to love me for it. <laughs> I'm just saying I've, it's not as complex as moving a castle from Italy. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. But my my thing, because we Ron and I were talking about this, I'm like, wait a minute. He's going to make a problem and then solve the problem. And that's he's going to get praise from that. But Why not only is he, he going to make the problem, but he's going to make the problem to like prove his ideas, his theories that he got fired because everyone thought they were a wacko. Yep. So he, mm -hmm. he's not only like, you know, giving himself credit and financial gains down the line, but he's also like validating his yeah. life's work up to that point. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So, so we were talking about this and Rowan goes, well, yeah, he wants people to take him seriously. And then, then why is he wearing his fucking suit? <laughs> <laughs> this, this stupid outfit i mean he does look like a giant grasshopper with a beard by the way you know yeah the beard's kind of uh kind of ruins it for me and you mean kind of glorious the yeah, beard is, is nice glorious beard. it is a very nice when he's beard. not in the locust suit yeah i gotta yeah, say he's well clothed <laughs> i don't know i'm looking yeah, i'm looking at the the first first panel on page six and it, it's it's a side profile of his face in the mask with the beard he's looking pretty good yeah <laughs> right on ah <laughs> oh, boy drew can't argue with that yeah i'm a big I, locust fan now well you're gonna you're gonna see him a lot in our game by the way um <laughs> <laughs> at least you are now <laughs> you so, done stepped in it boy that's fine yeah <laughs> So other questions. Oh, um, Hank gets Bobby's last name wrong in this issue, which has happened once at one other time where he called him Bobby Blake. And I thought that was kind of hysterical. To be fair, though, it probably should be Bobby Blake because they love their alliterations. At yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, but this is 20, 20, I mean, 23 issues or 22 issues. They didn't call him Bobby Blake. So. <laughs> At any rate, there's um, not enough syllables in his name for Beast to get it correct. That's true. His true. Right. <laughs> uh, the the Magno <laughs> the Magno Ray, by the way, is is what he uses to make bugs big. And how does it work? Well, magnetism, obviously. Magnetism. <laughs> um, this is also another issue where Xavier used the disguise. Here he's dressed like Heidi's grandpa. 
I see. My he, first thought was like, why is he half-ass dressed like Gandalf? That yeah. was mine too. Yeah. <laughs> and he's got. And then I saw the eyebrows, and I was like, oh, it's Professor X. So mm-hmm. yeah. So I gotta say, I was. I actually was a legitimately unaware that it was Professor X, and he had already fooled me once. So <laughs> you know. this this issue also had a Cerebro disclosure too. Yeah. Oh yeah. The the mobile unit. Yeah. They I mean, they apparently all of the vehicles are fixed with a Cerebro, like the helicopter, the jet plane. By the way, the jet plane that comes out of the garage, um, it's all it's all fitted. Even his Rolls Royce, probably. Um, but not his wheelchair. No. No, he has them push him around in that. So you'll <laughs> you'll be happy to know, Drew, that the locust appears two in at least two more comic books. Uh, he shows up in Hulk number one ninety four and X Factor number fifty two. And if you know anything about Rob Liefeld's ridiculous art style, X Factor fifty two is an issue I think that's got Angel fighting Sabretooth on the cover drawn by Rob Liefeld. Um, at any rate, apparently the locust is in, in that issue, and I didn't actually go back to read it to make sure. But Don't I remember that one. Yeah. That's... It was kind of an in-between issue. At any rate, the, you know, Xavier pops in and, and addressed again as Gandalf, and is like, you could use your, your knowledge for good. Why are you trying to do evil things? And, and the guy's like, you know what, old man? I don't have time for you. I'm out. If he and were they just let evil, him wander off again. Yeah if, yeah, if he were truly evil, he would have pushed that old man down and taken his cane, but he didn't. He said, I'm, I don't need friends. I'm out. And he leaves. Jean Grey, now this is a great use of her powers, because while she's fighting the locust and all the locusts, she twists his antenna on top of his helmet in a knot so that he can't communicate or can't demand uh, the bugs to do stuff, and they attack it. So he runs into his RV and he closes the door and then they get on the RV and they're rocking it and it's going to fall off a cliff. So Angel has to rescue him and save him. And again, they kill these two big bugs. Uh, Still fine with that. Yeah, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Not a fan of the big bugs. Um, Not a fan of bugs. He loses all of his stuff in his mobile lab. He, And then he goes, you know what? Maybe you're right. Okay, I'm, I'm quitting. And he throws all of his handheld gear into the water and he takes off his costume and he's like i'm gonna go turn myself in and they're like great i think even bobby says hey we'll write you a letter in prison you know yeah. <laughs> uh i think it's cool that he turns himself in i was a little saddened to know that he shows up again as the villain in hulk 194 and x factor 52 because well, it's not <laughs> like they ever check it isn't like they escort him to the police yeah. station or anything they just go like bye you know yeah. <laughs> yeah. they let Eunice walk off too and remember he's like I said I've had it I'm, I'm going home well don't join the don't join the brotherhood of mutants I won't and he just walks away and the locust devoured this guy's livelihood this farmer you know this yeah. farm of wheat just devoured it all who probably would have probably would have uh, gone into a depression spiral and started drinking and beating up his wife and family and then shot himself in the farm, uh, you know, back buildings with a shotgun. That's an interesting story. I mean, you know, this guy's just ruining lives everywhere he goes. Yeah. I don't know. This guy, though, I mean, he so he's an entomologist. You know, he's he was uh-huh. a professor at, at, at the school studying bugs. He's a chemical engineer. 
He's creating all, uh-huh. all these chemicals that do all these things. He He's a mechanical engineer because he's creating all these devices. And he's mm-hmm. a materials engineer because he's got a suit that deflects Scott's eye beams. Like, this dude's mm. fascinating to me. Yeah. And I would think the military would have some deep interest in the guy. Yeah. Maybe maybe that's what happens. He turns himself into the National Guard, and then the, the government's like, wait, we want to talk to him. And now that's why he's the supervillain still. I just maybe. wonder if, the, if they tracked him down and gave him the $25 fine for littering. <laughs> right because he threw all that shit in the water right yep yep his his mobile his mobile base is like you know floating downstream yep and you're <laughs> gonna find his name right on a letter at the bottom of that pile of garbage yeah and coming knocking on his door well, just like they did to arlo guthrie i know i know down at the at the bottom of that pile was an envelope with his name on it um so Mike, before the, one we of the move things on, that bugged me yeah, about this one just real quick was I'm tired no of the intended. beast. <laughs> one of the, one, <laughs> I'm tired of the beast not knowing that people are going to use their powers. Like we talked about it a little while ago. He couldn't figure man. out who put ice in the corner in the yeah. mansion. And this one, he was surprised as shit that the dude with the wings on his costume could fly. yeah that's right uh i think the quote that he says is it looks like it's up to you warren or something to that effect it looks like it's your turn angel um i did have a a question for you guys that i when i was reading it i didn't really have an answer for it but there on page four there's an editor's note from stan and the gang stan and the gang quote unquote and it says note to armchair psychologists if as you read it as you read on it seems uh, hold on if as you read on it seems to you that our orthopaterius antagonist has a distinct fascist fixation please forward all analysis to mighty marvel we're still trying to figure him out i didn't understand that like can you guys explain that to me because i didn't get it orthopterus refers to flying insects okay orthopterus right, but why is, is he, why class. is he I don't I don't understand why he was a fascist though. That's what that was my confusion about it too. Well, I, I don't think that there's an actual thing that, that points him out as being fascist. I think it's just that yeah. obviously he's the bad guy mm-hmm. and he's trying to, you know, he's trying to do something on a big scale. And I think that's kind of like they're like, Yeah, he's he's a fascist. And it, it isn't really it, that he's a fascist. He's can you imagine if a psychologist really read one of these comic books? <laughs> I actually have heard many podcasts where psychologists talk about these comic books. Holy shit. (laughs) I mean, just the number of things they would have to talk about is just insane. Well, personally, it's funny because listening to them talk, it's like, you're getting into this a little too much. I know (laughs) these guys weren't happy. They they weren't even thinking about that when they wrote it because they were just like, we got to have this done in two hours and we get paid by the page. Come on. (laughs) You know, but. But yeah, it's interesting stuff. So uh, before we go to the next issue, um, yeah, what do you what do you guys think? I mean, I like this, it. Oh, cool! I like this one. I like hearing that from you. Right on. Absolutely loved it. Yeah, best one to date. Why best do you think that, Drew? I'm curious. Yeah. Um, because it had everything, and it there wasn't. Uh, uh, one of my there was main no it, ice cream. 
Mm. The one time <laughs> I never made ice cream. Oh, thanks. Hey, so clearly he it does, does not have everything. He does, however, talk about a locust biting ice man and how it wouldn't like Bobby Alamode. So that's yeah. true. There's a reference. I just assumed that meant he almost shit his pants when the thing bit him. <laughs> one of I'm my sorry. my main issues, uh, personally, as I'm reading the X Men books, is the fact that there's so much exposition and there's so much fluff and there's so much unnecessary stuff that it it stretches out a, a story that could easily be a single issue if you've done it right into yep. two issues or to three issues and this was an entire story arc concisely done in a single issue and everything okay. was there there were no questions about it and it was just it was just fun like there was there was it it was ridiculous there was action there you know there there was um, like character development in it a little bit, not too much, but there mm. there was a little bit of everything which bit. we haven't seen before. Yeah, agree with all that, and I and I think another thing is there was a certain um, avoidance of having the characters interpersonal melodrama. There are some issues earlier on when uh, Iceman and the Beast are just kind of like farting around mm-hmm. and uh, just being children. And it kind of gets tiring after a while because it seems to slow everything down. Yeah, exactly. And there, was like a, there's, there was a nice avoidance of that and focus on what the story is supposed to there's be. There's entire pages of that in some issues <laughs> where you know it, how I feel. It, just, yeah. it slows everything down. Yeah. 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 I just well, liked it because Cyclops got bitch slapped. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and I, like, I, like I said earlier, it, it really reminded me of the comics <laughs> that I that got me into comics. It had the same... Yeah type Mm. of flow to the story as more recent books that i'm used to well i was noticing that even the art was a really good quality it was like the artwork is starting to feel like what we've seen in the late 80s you know uh well because the panels are finished there's actual backgrounds Mm -hmm. yeah yeah but but even the faces of the characters are clear you know some of that jack kirby Charles Xavier sitting in his in his seat. It's like, what is going on with that triple double chin thing going on? What is you know, yeah. he, he he's kind of creepy looking here. Here they the characters I think are drawn distinctly. And Iceman I... just must be really hard to draw because he's the only one I noticed differences in from panel to panel. He had mm. the that it was like, oh then okay, wow, well, look at that. I mean, his face looks really good in that one. Oh, look at that one. It looks like someone punched him in the forehead. <laughs> yeah but at least he has facial features it wasn't yeah it wasn't like yeah, that no. one issue not too long ago where he went back to being the snowman the abyssal horror ice man yeah, <laughs> yeah. shane calls it the oatmeal look yeah <laughs> yeah well uh i i really liked it too and and i thought it was kind of cool to go back to go and read it especially after what i knew of the locust from the old marvel role-playing game um, because that didn't really give me enough to, I mean, I remember, you know, going through that module going, boy, this villain is lame. Um, and he doesn't do any of the cool shit that he does in this comic book. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought his plan was really smart. Like he was like, I can't take the X-Men. So I'm going to fly over there. And then I'm going to uh, unre- unleash wasps on them and they aren't going yeah. to be able to reach me. And they yep. fell for it multiple times. Yeah. And then the wasps were like, oh, wait, there's giant locusts. Let's go get them instead. <laughs> I guess that moves us into our final, our, our, our second book, our second issue. 
And uh, that is Daredevil number 13. So Daredevil number 13, of course, we are reading that because it features Kazar, who becomes very prominent in the X-Men, much further into the future. Um, the release date is December 2nd, 1965. Cover date was February of 66. Credits are written by Stan Lee, art by the great John Romita. John Romita also did the inking, and letters were by Sam Rosen. The title of the book is Secret of Kazar's Origin. Um, this one to me felt like an adventure comic, a romance comic, a superhero comic. I don't know. Minus the ice cream, Rob, would you say that this one had it all? Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Minus the ice cream. Um, you know, anytime Magor gets beat up by the Daredevil, I'm happy. Um, <laughs> well, this first page, I was like, this looks like some a rejected scene from Barbarella or something here. And they just <laughs> sub Daredevil in instead. He's laid out on a nice white fur. White fur, Kind of yeah. a suggestive pose. And here comes the big guy. <laughs> Expected Jane Fonda to roll over topless at any moment. Now, now he did <laughs> roll him over, right? He did, like, kind of tumble That's him around true. a little bit. Um, Magor just can't quit Daredevil. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I, I gotta say, this this is not one of my favorite issues of, of anything. I mean, I I kind of felt this issue a little dull. Um, I love the art. I love the fighting scenes in the. I love the art in the fighting scenes. But I felt I felt like let's have Daredevil. Now he's really blind. He doesn't have his powers because you know we talked about last time we covered it. His he lost his uh, extra senses. Um, and so he's just listening to Magor grunt and groan and then, you know, taking a swipe at him. But Kazar goes out to find some juju berries to heal Daredevil. He gets attacked by a man-eating plant. He and Zabu. The man-eating man plant looks freaking awesome. Yeah. You know. The tiger saves the day. And uh and then <laughs> He takes the berries back to, to Kazar when, when he does, or to, to Daredevil. And when Kazar does, he gets captured by the Plunderer, who is this pirate that originally captured Daredevil. Um, so we you, you, you kind of glossed over the fact that at one point, Kazar attempts to burn down the Savage Land. See, I missed that i i even asked rowan i'm like what is going on here he tried to burn down i don't remember that happening i remember the fire i remember but wasn't it the plunder who burned us? i don't know no, no he set the forest on fire to defeat mm -hmm. that plant oh, but, and then just right. left so he started a fire and then walked away yeah smoky bear <laughs> would be all over this dude's ass if he were around right. that's all i'm saying only you can prevent jungle fires. Yeah. Kazar does very short-sighted things to assert his supposed dominance. And I don't like the fact that he talks like, you know, Tarzan the Jungle Man again. It, it, I mean, that first issue we read, he was smart and talked like a normal person through part of the issue, and then and then he kind of lost all of that. Um. In the at any rate, comic, yeah, yeah, yeah. At any rate, he uh, 
he gets captured by the plunderer and then that's when he realizes that the plunderer has half a medallion and he has half a medallion and that means that they're brothers Ta-da. now i knew about the plunderer because i read the kazar series from the 70s and 80s and always wanted to read like the early plunderer stuff you know that i always read about but i never read the story um well i got my wish wasn't that impressed but i still think it'd be i like i like the plunderer it's a villain there's a lot of like it seems like maybe even some double cross in this doesn't the plunderer decide he's going to use this he's like i just have to get kazar's half of the medallion and then you know basically the world are open up for me um so what what do you guys think about this medallion what do you think this is what's happening here Vibranium. I feel like this is the first appearance of vibranium. Yeah. Yep. Uh-huh. Yep. Okay. Okay. But I, yeah, I, the I whole like I didn't that the the, the uh, like the vibrations was the big part of it right mm-hmm. now. Like when you put these two pieces of the medallion together, it's going to shake the cork out of the hole and you'll get to the treasure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was okay. one of those magic, you know, does everything kind of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, tell, um, I have to say, I was a little confused by the, 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 besides the amulet, I was confused by the relationship between um, Foggy and Karen. Yeah. Weren't, weren't they a couple in issue 12? That so was they, like they kind of made it look that way. And I, Rowan, I think, pointed this out to me because I asked her the same thing. I'm like, wait a minute. Daredevil left because she and Foggy were together. And and as he's yes. swinging out the window to go jump on a ship to go on that swingers cruise yep. uh, <laughs> that we've talked about before, Karen is thinking, if only he knew how much I loved him. You know, mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. It, it was even confusing then. So, well, she think- was dating. She was dating Foggy, but really wanted Matt. Right. I think the idea yeah. was that he, he was doing that thing that they, the way that they write these, one yeah. of the bad ways they write the disabilities, right? Is the person is thinking, how can she ever love me because I have this? Yeah. Fill in the blank. And he was mm-hmm. like, I will, I will go and let them be together. And then you see them in the distance and the, and they have their own thought bubbles or whatever. And they were in the window or whatever, looking like they're together. But I think the idea was, is they're not necessarily together. They're just standing together. Well, Foggy does in this issue, Foggy does make comments about, boy, she's probably thinking about Matt. You're thinking about Matt, aren't you? You know, <laughs> it's right. it's kind of like, he's like, come on, just come out and say it. You got to think for him, you know? So I, I, it does seem like there is something between Foggy and, and Karen, but... I don't know. Um, at any rate, yeah, Daredevil fights Kazar because I don't know why that happened. It's just Kazar's like, I got to fight you. Um, you know, we're in the dungeon right. together. Let's fight. I thought that was, was a bit temperamental. It's a bit lame. But what did, what I what made me laugh out loud in this issue was one of I think Plunderers, like they go back to London. Plunderer takes Daredevil and Kazar back to London, right? And by the way, that was the shittiest cage I have ever seen. Yeah, How yeah. did that hold Kazar at all? It had no fucking bottom. It had right. 
In fact, there's a bit where somebody sides. tries to slide. Somebody tries to slide a bottom <laughs> under it so they can move it. Was <laughs> <laughs> all of them had? There were double sides and no bottom. That's like, yeah. who, you didn't think this out at all. But you, I mean, I know you said you like the plunderer, but it's another villain that wants everyone to fear him. Yep. I mean, I, I, at some point, I have to ask, who hurts Stan? Maybe that's why I like the locust so much because he didn't want everyone to fear him. He just wanted everyone to respect him. He just wanted credit. Yep. Ah. Okay. Someone hurt Stan <laughs> a lot. That's all I can say is because this character keeps popping up over and over and over. Yeah. Yeah. Magneto, Doctor Doom, the Plunderer. <laughs> Count Nefaria. Um El Tigre. El Tigre. El Tigre. Yeah, which we'll be talking about him in a little while. Um I I love, like I said, I love the action in this book visually. I think those panels with Magor and Daredevil fighting are just beautiful. I think they're amazing. I love John Romita. Uh I love his artwork. Um and you know, there's there are some artists that I really like as far as daredevil artists and it's john romita frank miller joe quesada uh, john romita jr those guys have all done amazing work um but sadly this book kind of put me to sleep i mean literally you can even ask rowan i was falling asleep he was dozing off <laughs> so did count nefaria roofie you like he did the rest <laughs> of his crew for no fucking yeah. reason <laughs> <laughs> Now, the one thing that woke me up was the surprise attack of Feepers, the secret oh. spy, <laughs> F-18. What the hell kind of name? That was the dumbest character name. That's why he went by F-18 when he called his buddies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to figure out like if if somehow, whether like verbally or written down, if F-18 could somehow make Feepers some uh, there was a correlation <laughs> between the name Feepers and the, and the name F eighteen, but I couldn't get there. It was the surprise move in Battleship. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so nice. yeah, this um, one this one le left me with a lot of questions too. Like when they had Kazar in the pit, it looked like he was in a narrow column, right? Yeah, yeah, and, <laughs> yeah. And then they pushed Daredevil in, and it was like all of a sudden became like this giant fighting pit, mm -hmm. and. And why the fuck did Count Nefaria never put the lid back on the thing? So at some point they're like, oh, I'm going to hop out. Well, for one, Count Nefaria wasn't there. It was Plunderer. But. Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. They're they're very similar. Um... Well, they've got the same cape. No. <laughs> they're both nobility. I think it's funny that Daredevil gets out of that pit and then decides to help Kazar out because obviously he can't get out because. The sides are made of slippery glass. Yeah. I don't I don't understand that. Why does Daredevil care if Kazar likes him? Who hurt Stan? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we may be onto something. <sighs> I don't know. I got tired of this origin story and the mysterious medallion. Um, but I have a question to you guys, because this is part two of 
obviously a more <clears throat> than two-part story story arc in Daredevil. Are you guys up for reading issue 14, the exciting conclusion of Daredevil? If it's the Kaiser? conclusion, I'm down. Yeah, I think so. I think okay. I need to, because I, I, I have questions that didn't get answered in this one. It's like, you know, <laughs> you have to, once once you watch Police Academy 2, you have to watch Police Academy 3 because there are so many unanswered questions. <laughs> I need to know. <laughs> <laughs> oh. You can't leave it with citizens on patrol. You can't leave it. That's right. No. <laughs> I just, I, I can't, I can't figure out why beepers put out a call to every mercenary on the planet to come and get the medallion. Like, I thought you wanted it. Uh, why, why did you tell everyone else that might be able to sell it for money where it was and to come on and get it? Yes, he's working for the Magia. Uh, he really is Nefaria. Plunderer really is Nefaria. <laughs> That's what it is, dude. And he would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for those meddling kids. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Wow. I actually, I, I read 13 mm -hmm. after we read 12, just because I needed to know what was going to happen. Yeah. So when I opened uh, this know, up again, having forgotten about it, I'm like, oh, I've already read this. So okay. I had to reread it just to kind of remind now, myself. Did you, but, did yeah. you read issue 14? Because this doesn't answer any no. questions. Okay. No, no. Because you're like, God damn it, another one. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, so that's what I did. With the Daredevil, like issue 12, the art was amazing. Yeah. And like this, the art took a big dip. And I don't know if it was Jack having a bigger hand in the art in this one than he did in the last one. But it was a definite change. I have a theory about that because issue number 12, it's stated that that's John Romita's first appearance as an artist. Yep. So maybe he was just doing a um, good job to not, not at. entirely true. Like he had been doing art already uh, for Marvel's earlier incarnation. Mm -hmm. um, he had done uh, like romance comics. This is his first actual. Ooh, he would Marvel. be a great romance comic yeah. artist. Um, I might be wrong, Rowan, but wasn't John Romita the one that said, if it's Stan on the phone, tell him to go to hell? But, uh, I thought so. Yeah. So he was one of the guys fired from the original Marvel um, you know, staff when Stan Lee was told, you got to fire everybody and uh, we'll just you know, run this company on skeleton, on a skeleton crew. And uh, I mean, luckily, John went back, you know, to, to work for him and but this is his actual first Marvel, you know, Marvel art. Um, and it, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. I, I still think the art was good here. It was, I think, better in some panels. Like I said, the action sequences, I think Daredevil and, and Kazar and even Magor were really clear and strong. Mm -hmm. and, and I thought they were great. Um, there are some pictures some panels of the plunderer where it's like what is that is that his face what's on it what's on his head what is that yeah you know um but i think for the most part those fight scenes were just gorgeous so but you might be right i mean that that may be because stan was doing the layouts and i don't know i just felt or like stan yeah Jack like when it came to yeah but when like when it came to magor it his 
he looked like a Jack Kirby drawing that someone else yeah. had gone over. This is this is true. So yeah, that's this yeah, that's true. just I felt that that was the only thing. And and there was a few other instances in the issue where I felt like, oh, this does look like a Jack Kirby art, but uh it's just John Romita was a much better inker than what he usually had. Mm. I kind of dig the fact that John does his pencils and his art and his inking. Yeah. Kind of dig that. So all right. Well, any last thoughts on this fabulous issue? Daredevil number 13. It, it was one of those books where while I was reading it, I wasn't that interested in it. Well, I, I don't want to say not interested in it, but but after I read it, it kind of all came together in my head. And I was like, oh, that was pretty good. Raj, did you give your final thoughts? Uh, it made me curious to to read 14 and see okay. the end of the origin story for Kazar. Okay. Yeah. Great. Well, no, yeah, I, we'll you know, it. it was it was a good uh, issue. It it you know, like Drew said, some of the art could have been a little better and it was kind of up and down here and there, but it was overall, it was good. I like the pacing of the story. It was a lot of action. Mm -hmm. Not that I need that in every issue. Cause we've had that, you know, we've had a couple of those now with what we've read, but um, yeah, it's the, some of the early X-Men books are just so like they're moving and doing stuff and then they're slow and they're talking and they're farting around and it's like, and then they start moving again. So this was just more like, Steady pace. Yeah, good, good I like pacing. that. Cool. All right. Well, I guess that wraps it up for Daredevil number 13 and episode number 14 of House of X Book Club. Uh, so next episode, we're going to be talking about X-Men number 25 and 26, which there's a lot going in and a lot going on in those episode issues, excuse me, and a lot, uh, a lot to talk about. Um, <laughs> I don't even want to get started now. <laughs> um, there's a lot that I liked about those issues, and we'll, we'll get into it. But there's a lot that is uh, very questionable, very questionable. So, at any rate, uh, thanks you guys for joining me on this journey, and uh, we'll catch you next time.